can have a seat. Moritz Cornelius Escher was a Dutchman who had an affinity for architecture, mathematics, and graphic design. Over the course of his life, he would be known really as a famous graphic artist, and, and he would sign his paintings M.C. Escher. Uh, maybe you've heard that name before. Uh, his work was really known for trying to depict impossible objects in, that uh, can exist in a two-dimensional world but can't exist in a three-dimensional world. So when you see them, it takes a minute for your brain to kind of adjust and be like, well, what am I looking at? This is one of his more notable works titled Ascending and Descending. I kind of zoomed in on the portion that I wanted you to look at, just specifically just this staircase, right? You look at it, and once you uh, like just kind of see, it's just there. How does that work, right? Like, like how does that function? And once I get, uh, once I get past that thought, the, the other thought that I have when I look at this painting is I would hate to be that guy, right? Like, you're never getting to the top of the staircase. You're, you're just always, you know, always working, right? You're all, every time you step to the top, it's actually a step towards the bottom again. So with each step you, you take up, it's a step back down. And while I say I would hate to be that guy, there have been times in my life where I feel like I've kind of lived that out. Uh, like, I'm just getting no traction in life, like I'm just, my wheels are spinning, just kind of stuck doing the exact same thing over and over again. Maybe you felt it before too. Maybe it was at work, uh, school, relationships, uh, but there have been times where I've really felt this, in, in, like, in my relationship with the Lord. Like, there would be some, some seasons of life where I feel like, okay, I'm, I'm getting to know Him more, I, I'm, I'm knowing more of His Word, and, and, and trying to live out that wisdom, but then the next day I'll just do something stupid, right? Like, I act out of... Uh, uh, out of selfishness or the corruption of my own heart, I, you know, I sin. And I do something I know I'm not supposed to do. And, and when that happens, okay, instead of coming back and banking what I know to be true in Christ, about that his, his, his love for me is there, he's forgiven me, that, and instead of banking on all that, there's something weird sometimes that, can, that, that, that I can give into this temptation and think, okay, well, I dropped the ball. I need to be the one to fix this in my relationship with the Lord. Like, I need to be the one to, to atone for this sin. I need to be the one to make up for this. So I've got to make this right. And I'm not talking about, like, you know, apologizing to someone. Those are things that you need to do. But just in my relationship with the Lord, like, I think I've got to somehow fill in the gap because I've dropped the ball, because I, I, I've sinned. And so uh, I, I don't know. Maybe I'll think, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read more Bible this week, or I'm going to be more kind, or I'm going to give money to the guy on the corner. And, and maybe that will be some good things credited to my account, if you will, um, that, I, that I can make this right. And so I, maybe you've felt that. Maybe, in fact, maybe that's one of the reasons you're here. You're like, I've got to go to church after what happened this past week. <laughs> or maybe you're thinking, I've got to be here for this, you know, maybe I can go to church for a month to try to square away. And, and so, you know, we tell ourselves these things, and then we, we make our best effort to achieve whatever it is that we've set out, you know, reading the Bible more, being more kind. And maybe we pull it off and we think, okay, now I'm, I'm even or maybe even a little bit ahead. But then, you know, what happens? The next day we strike out in our sin again. You know, we, we, we sin. Maybe we lash out in anger or act out in our pride. I know for me, I sin and I find myself starting back again. You know, it's, it's not that I've taken one step back. It almost feels like I've caught like ten steps back. And I'm just caught in this endless cycle that just never seems to finish. You know, I, I, I forget about God's love and kindness and acceptance, and I think, well, I want to try to make him accept me. I want to try to make him love me. And so I, I've just got to make sure that my good outweighs my bad. And when, that, we, when we give into that mindset, or maybe that's how you operate this morning, like, you, you, you never know when you're done. You never know when you've done enough. You just don't know if, if you're at the top of this thing. You never know if you've done enough because you're trying to make amends to a holy and righteous God. You just don't know when you've done enough to appease him and to atone for your failings. 
The book of Leviticus is, uh, is a, a book that speaks to the sacrificial system that God gives to his people, the Israelites. It's also a book that, that helps them know how to live out their faith in response to the grace that God gives them in and through the sacrifices. Last week, we looked at God's instructions to the Israelites on building the tabernacle, building a place of worship. The book of Leviticus instructs them on what to do when they're there. It instructs them on what to do when, when, they, when they go to the place of worship, when they make these offerings before the Lord. And so what you have in Leviticus is, is a way for the Israelites to worship in such a way to where it helps others know the one true God and that there's a way to be in a relationship with him and that he has given a way to address the problem of our sin. Now in the book of Leviticus, in the first uh, six, seven chapters, it outlines five different types of sacrifices. I'm not going to list them all or go through them all, but some of them are like uh, uh, burnt offerings, fellowship offerings, uh, thank offerings. All of these were done, these offerings or sacrifices were given to either express gratitude to the Lord, uh, worshipped him, and some of them were done to, in fact, atone for sin. And when they made these sacrifices, sometimes they would be uh, like giving wheat and barley back to the Lord, like giving him a portion of their crops, like as, as, so it's kind of giving the fruit of the harvest, sacrificing fruit of the harvest, if you will. But then there were other sacrifices that required them to sacrifice like a goat or a lamb or a dove, and these would be blood offerings. And they can make these for their family or, or for in response to kind of your own personal sin. A few times a year, however, they were commanded by, by the Lord uh, to make sacrifices, not individually or not just for families, but actually make sacrifices for the entire nation of Israel. One of these sacrifices that is the most, probably one of the most noteworthy, was the sacrifice that came on the Day of Atonement, when the sins of the entire nation were placed upon an animal and the animal was sacrificed. Uh, this is found in Leviticus 16, and, uh, and we're, again, we're not, we're not going to go through this. I'm just going to kind of tell you some of what's in there, but I would encourage you to read it this week. And uh, how often do you hear uh, uh, you know, somebody say, go read Leviticus 16? But it's, it's there, and it's good. It's the, one of those, it's the book that everybody loses the New Year's resolution on, right? Like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, I'm out. Like that's, that's about where people go out on it. But it's, there's so much here on, on, all the, on, on all the instructions for these sacrifices and what's going on. Leviticus 16 uh, tells specifically how to make the sacrifices on the Day of Atonement. And it would start with the high priest making sacrifice for his own sins, for his own sin and for the sin of the household. Now, if you'll remember, uh, the past couple of weeks as we've been kind of studying the story of Israel, um, last week was worship at the tabernacle. The week before that was the worship at the golden calf. And if, if you remember, the, the one that kind of uh, was formative in that happening was Moses' brother Aaron. Aaron led them in, in worship of the golden calf. Well, what we also see is later on in their story, Aaron actually becomes the first high priest of Israel. And so he for sure has uh, that sin as well as probably others that we don't have recorded in Scripture that he needs to atone for. And so the day of atonement would begin with the high priest atone, uh, you know, making sacrifices for himself. And it was a very ritualized way that it would happen. Like he would get up and he would go through this kind of ritual bath. And then there were these certain garments that he had to wear that were all prescribed that he had to be wearing when he made the sacrifice. And then he would, he would go into the place of worship and he would sacrifice a bull for himself and for his family. And that blood would kind of get on the altar and it would get on his clothes as well. And, and, and he would come back out and people would know that he's made a sacrifice for himself. And then there was a, a goat that was picked to be the sacrifice for the nation of Israel. And he would go into the place of, of, of sacrifice, sacrifice the goat, and again, even more blood would, would cover the garments of the high priest. And he would come back out, and the people would know that the sacrifice has been made for the entire nation of Israel. Now, an additional component to just the, the, the death is that there was another goat that was chosen 
uh, that was would not chosen to die, but this goat would be chosen to, to live. And so he, <clears throat> Aaron would come out, he would lay his hands on the goat, confess the sins of Israel over the goat, and then that goat would be led out into the wilderness, like as far away as possible. Because what's visually being depicted is that the sins have been atoned for, and now they're being taken away from the people of Israel. And so they would lead that goat way out in the wilderness, because they don't want that goat coming back in, right? Like, they don't want that goat coming all the way back. Like, it would probably be really bad luck if you were out in the woods and came across that goat. You'd be like, yo, I'm out, right? Like, I don't want the sins of Israel to come back uh, upon us. You know, only two people laughed at that first service. I thought it was going to work a little bit better second, and it didn't. So uh, anyways, so, but it's a visual symbol that the, you know, the, the sins are being taken away. And all of this would, would happen once a year, every year, on the Day of Atonement. And so the, the families throughout the year, they can make their sacrifices for their personal sin and expressions of worship. But on this Day of Atonement, the entire nation could rest knowing that, that the, their sins have been covered and that the blessing has been restored. And so every year on the Day of Atonement, they would see the sacrifice, they would know the consequence of their sin, they would see a life has been taken, and, and this is in, in judgment over our rebellion, over our mutiny against the Lord. But they would also be grateful, grateful that, that they don't have to wonder, right? They don't have to, to wonder where they stand in relationship with the Lord. Like this is, we've done what he's asked, we've done what he's commanded, we've satisfied these instructions. And, and so they would, would know that the relationship has been restored, that their sins have been removed. They, they, they know they don't have to uh, carry that question anymore. But it was just for the year. Because we see that God instructs them to make this same sacrifice year after year after year. And so what you see in the sacrificial system is that it is a, a profound gift. And you know, showing consequences of sin, but showing a way that God has prescribed to, uh, to deal with it, to atone for it. It does prove to be a burden as well, in that every single year they're coming back offering the same sacrifices. And with that, we need to be mindful that maybe, maybe God's showing, maybe God's teaching and showing the inadequacies of any sacrifice that humans can make. Because it's never going to be enough. It's never enough. Once we, because we, once we make that sacrifice, we sin again, and it requires another sacrifice to be made. It's as if we're caught on a never-ending staircase. Every step up is almost a step back to where we started. But what if, what if there was one sacrifice that would be for all time, for all sins, and for all people who trusted in that sacrifice? What if there was one sacrifice so powerful, so perfect, so pure, so complete that it supersedes the sacrifices of man? You see, this is another gift of the sacrificial system, is that it helps lead humanity to be waiting, longing, hoping for sacrifice from the Lord. The author of Hebrews helps us see this. Hebrews chapter 10. It's going to be our primary text if you want to go ahead and be making your way there. Hebrews chapter 10, it, it shows us kind of what the sacrificial system was pointing us towards and, and helping us see uh, how, how this is pointing us towards Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 through 4 says this. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. 
So I mean, you, you can hear it right now. The, the author of Hebrews helping us see the sacrificial system pointing us towards, pointing us towards what is to come. Another way you can think of it is it's, it's almost like a rehearsal. It's a rehearsal of a sacrifice that will be made once and for all. Year after year, they're seeing these sacrifices, or again, a reminder of the consequences of their sin, but also seeing these sacrifices are deficient, they're lacking, they're incomplete because they are the sacrifices of sinful man. No, to permanently atone for all sins, for all time, we would need the sacrifice of God. And in John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist sees Jesus and says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And, and so the author of Hebrews is writing to help us see that truth uh, as, as well. It's just echoing the same thing. And this next portion, uh, Hebrews 10, 5 through uh, 8, 5 through 9, uh, I described this way in first service. It's almost like Inception. Did you see the movie? It was like dream within a dream within a dream. <laughs> that, that's happening here with Hebrews because the author is quoting Christ. He's quoting the Psalms. That's making a prophecy about Jesus. So there's like multiple layers in this, but it's all pointing to how the sacrificial system is pointing us back towards Christ. Hebrews 10, verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. So Christ is, is showing how he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrificial system. Really revealing what the rehearsal was all about. Preparing for the Lamb of God who's come into this world to take away our sins. That Jesus, the sacrifice of God, was born to live a perfect life and die a sacrificial death. And this was the plan, this was the will of God the Father to redeem, to permanently redeem and restore his wayward people. Look at verse 10. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. We're made holy through the sacrifice of Christ once and for all. There's no need for multiple sacrifices. There, there, there's no need for you and for me to feel like we have to add something to it, to feel like we have to make up the gaps. There's no need for our best acts or our best efforts to try to like add on the sacrifice of Christ. No, it was once and for all time and, and, and for all sins, for all who trust in Christ. Through him, we are made holy and viewed as holy by the sovereign righteous God. He looks on us with favor and with acceptance because we are covered by the sacrifice of Christ. And when Christ is sacrificed, he completes the sacrificial system. So he's not discounting it, not demeaning it, not throwing it away, but showing its fulfillment found in him, that it's completed in him. Look at this verse 11. It's talking about completing. There's a little bit of wordplay I'm going to draw your attention to. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. We'll stop there. It says day after day, he's making these sacrifices. The priest stands. Like, this is the never-ending staircase. It's the never-ending staircase. The sacrifices are being made constantly, he's ha but they're only providing covering for a year. But it's never taking the sins away fully, never providing a way for our sins to be permanently atoned or permanently forgiven. And so as a result, the priest can never sit down. He has to always stand. He's constantly standing because he's constantly working. He's constantly sacrificing. He's constantly having to do and do and do. And this, like I 
I almost did it. When I, when I was putting this sermon together, I thought, I think I'm going to have everybody stand and just stay standing for the whole sermon until I got to this part, right? <laughs> because, like, I think it would help us learn this a bit, right? Help us kind of live out this illustration because the priest is, is, is standing because he has to work. He's making the sacrifice. There's no, there's no rest. It's almost, it's just kind of like, man, I've got I've to do this again. I've got to do this again. I've got I've to do this again. He's standing the whole time. But look at the sacrifice of Christ, the high priest. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. When Christ, the high priest, when he makes the sacrifice, he sits down at the right hand of God. It's done. It's done. It's complete. He doesn't have to make countless sacrifices. His alone is perfect. His alone is sustainable. His uh, alone absolves the full wrath of God over our sin and restores to us the favor of God on our lives. And, and with his sacrifice, our sins are completely taken away. We are made holy. Look at verse 15. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, this is a covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I'll put my law in their hearts and I'll write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Okay, so, so when we trust in Christ, when we trust in that sacrifice, he remembers our sin no more. We are forgiven. There's no longer any need for any sacrifice because our sins have been permanently and completely taken away. Goat has left the building, ain't nobody finding it, right? Like it's gone completely. It's done and finished. Christ has satisfied it. He satisfied the work. It's done. Jesus speaks to this in, in, himself, really, as he's dying on the cross. In John chapter 19, verse 28 through 30, Jesus says this, uh, or, or describes the scene and, and gives us the words of Christ on the cross. Later, knowing everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine, uh, wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It's finished. It's finished. Right? Jesus, knowing that he had fulfilled all the work that his father had given him, knowing that he suffered the cross for the, for the payment of, and taken on the penalty of our sins, knowing really that he has drunk the cup of judgment that God has for us over our sins and over our, our, our sinfulness. Jesus knows it's done, knows it's complete. He willingly gives up his spirit. Just before this, Jesus had talked about how he had the power to lay down his life and the power to take it back up again. And, and, and he's going to take it back up again in three days, right? We're going to celebrate it on Easter. But here, he is willingly laying down his life and giving up his spirit. Why? The high priest is finished making the sacrifice. His work is done. It is finished. The sacrifice of God was enough for you. Or, or you can stay on the staircase of your best effort. You can stay on the staircase of your best effort. And, and, and in doing that, you reject the sacrifice of God, and you try, to earn, you try to earn his favor on your own, with your own sacrifices. But it will never be enough. 
it's never enough. I mean, you won't know if it ever is, right? And so, like, God's, if, if, if you reject the sacrifice of Christ and are trying to earn this on, on your own, and then, then we, we, Scripture lets us know God's anger is, is still on you, that God's wrath over, is over your sin is still on you because you have just told God, I can make a sacrifice better than you can. You've just said, I can make a sacrifice better than what you can do. And if, if that's our mindset, if that's our response to it, then, then the notion is to keep walking because you're, you're, you're on the staircase and you're trying to do this on your own and you'll be stuck on that never-ending staircase, right? Because you lied to your boss and you might lie to your boss next week, right? You lied to your boss. You, you know, you, you, you cheated in the business deal. You lied to your spouse. You used your words to tear somebody down. You gossip. And, and so there's that sin that I don't have to argue, I don't have to convince you of that nature, right? No, there's that sin, and we know that's there, and, and there's this something in us that thinks, okay, I've got to make this right, I've got to, I've got to do this, I've got to make this right between me and the Lord. Again, not talking about apologizing to other people, we should do those things, but like, you're thinking, okay, I've got to make this right between me and the Lord, or you're thinking, I've got to be the one to atone for it and make it right. And so you put out your list, and you try to do it, or, or whatever it is, and then when you sin, trying to make it right, now you've got to atone for that sin, and so it just keeps going and going and going. You've got to do enough good works to atone for that one. And you do, and you do, and you do, and you're never, ever finished. You have to keep working. You are constantly standing. You are always on the staircase. So much so to where church, religion, the name of God or the name of Jesus can sometimes be a trigger for you to sound burdensome. Because you're still believing that in, in your mind it's still based all on your effort. And, you, and you've, you've missed the gospel. You've missed the hope of the gospel. Because with Christ, it's finished. It is finished. It's finished. And that's the good news of the gospel. You don't have to wonder anymore how God looks at you. Like last week we talked about how there's nothing that separates from the love of the Lord. And I, I hope what you're hearing between last sermon and, and this Sunday is just how pursuing and just how redemptive and just how complete God's love is for you and the sacrifice that he has made on your behalf so that we can rest and know that it's finished, that it's done, that through Christ, when we place our hope and our faith and our trust in him, God looks at you as holy because you are holy in Christ. And it's been said, if we preach more about who we are in Christ, we have to preach less about what we're to do, right? Because when we know who we are, when we know what Christ has done on our behalf, then we're going to express that in our actions. Then what we do will be in response to who he is and who he's made us in him. And so, like, know that, like, that applies here, right? When we understand that we've been made holy in Christ, we live in the freedom of that. We live in the freedom of that. Not in the, in the I've got, well, I can sin however I want to sin because he looks at me as holy. No, no, no. We've been made holy. It's a freedom not to sin. It's a freedom to come out of your sin. And because the work is done, right? But it's finished. We have to leave our sin behind, grow in our Christ-likeness. And I'm telling you, all right, if I missed you, come back in on this. Growing in our Christ-likeness, that can only happen when we're operating from a mindset of victory rather than defeat. Because when I talk about growing in our Christ-likeness, I'm, I'm scared that far too many of us have a picture of the never-ending staircase. Think of that's what i got to do to grow in my Christ-likeness. And the reality of it is, is we don't even need to be picturing a staircase at all. Because Christ has taken us off the staircase, put us at the top of it, and said, it's finished. It's done. I've, I've made you holy. Now, you're forgiven. And so now that you are forgiven, now that, now that God looks at you as holy, this, that's your nature. 
and now the way that you live is to express it. The way that, the way that you live now is, is to express that out. It's not trying to earn to get to the starting point. It's that Christ has taken us already there. And so that's why I'm saying, it, like growing in our Christ-likeness, we need to operate from a place of victory rather than defeat because I'm holy because what Christ has done. And so when we do sin, because we're going to sin, you know, when, when, we, when we do sin, we can realize, hey, this is against my nature and it's an insult to the sacrifice of Christ. And so I want to leave it behind. I want to leave it behind because this has no hold on me anymore. Like that's the power that we can live in. That's the joy that we can live in. And that should change things for us. And that should change things for us where we're not trying to pursue these other things. We're not trying to, to, uh, to you know, I mean, certainly we're not trying to lie, cheat, and steal to get ahead. But it should also change things in the sense of somehow I've got to earn back God's love or acceptance of me because I squandered it or I threw it away. But no, it's he loves me. Nothing is going to separate me from that. But now because of his love and holiness in my life, I want to further come out of my sin and, and pursue him and live my life with the virtue and the ethic of the family I've been adopted into. Right? I'm not trying to climb the staircase to get in. He's, he's placed me there. Now this is just expression. Now this is just expression of who I am because of what Christ has done. I'll live a, li- a life that pleases God, not to earn his favor, not out of obligation, but out of appreciation and worship to him. Out of a knowledge that his ways are better than ours because our ways puts us on a never-ending staircase. His ways, his ways show us the holiness and redemption that is found in him, the joy, the life that is found in him. And so we want to live our life for him. We want to see his kingdom grow and so that other men and women can also come to the saving knowledge of who he is and the hope and the joy that is found in him. So again, between last Sunday and this Sunday, I've been hoping to try to paint this picture of how pursuing, how redemptive God's love is for you. And so with that, Maybe, maybe, maybe you know you're going to run into somebody that's, that's going to judge you and, and judge you from your past and say, because of what you've done, because of all the bad that you've done, this is, your, you know, this is what you need to do for attrition, or this is what you have to do uh, to make up for how much bad you've done. Or maybe it's you. Maybe, maybe, maybe you look at your own life and you see your own mistakes and, and you start to condemn yourself and thinking, because of all this, this is how much I have to do to make up for it, okay? Now, I, now, now we can come back. You can look at your accuser, whether it's someone else or it's your reflection in the mirror, and say, no, no, because of Christ, it's finished. The work is done. I'm trusting in him, and because of him, I'm forgiven, I'm redeemed, and the life I now live will be an expression of response to him and the grace that he has shown me. Or, 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 you can keep trying to do it on your own. But honestly, okay, honestly, what what can you offer that's more than the Son of God? Right? Like, what, what can you add that would somehow add to the sacrifice of Christ? And this, this would be the question that I've somehow, some way, is the one that I've struggled with all out of. Because, like, I know the gospel, know the hope of the gospel, and, and, and believe, believe the gospel in and through. But when I just get in some of those dark places and dark moments, there can be this thought that, okay, God, the gospel is for everybody else, but so for somehow for me, I've got I've to add up, what's, I've got to fill in the gaps, right? Every now and then I, like, I feel like, okay, it's for everybody else, and God kind of you know, got me to third base, but now I've got to get myself all the way home. And, and so I, I think that like, somehow, but, I mean, the question that I've got is, is the sacrifice of God somehow incomplete that you and your efforts can somehow make up? How arrogant of a question is that? 
Like, when I think and actually express that that so many times that's what I'm doing, like, I mean, what type of a, how much arrogance does that run amok? They're thinking, no, 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 there's, there's a gap here, and I'm going to be the one to fill it in because somehow what you've done is lacking. No, it's finished. It's done. Christ has died for you. The perfect sacrifice. Now, that might lead to the question, did he really have to die for us in the first place? And I would say yes, yes, because your sin really is that egregious to God. Um, that sacrifice does two things for us. It lets us know uh, this, our sin has far-reaching uh, ramifications and repercussions, probably more than we could ever imagine. But the sacrifice also lets us know that we are loved deeper than perhaps we'd ever dare to hope because God would be the one to willingly provide that sacrifice to permanently and completely atone for our sin, both for the sins you have committed and the sins you will commit. Were that not the case, you would have to keep sacrificing. Otherwise, there'd be no end to our perpetual atonement. There'd be no end to the sacrifices that we would have to make, and we could never sit down. We would always have to keep standing. But it's finished. It's finished. It's finished. Step off the staircase of your religious effort and rest in the finished work of Christ. Sit down and claim and experience and know the victory and the redemption that Christ has won on your behalf. Again, aren't you, aren't you tired of it anyways? Aren't you tired of it anyways? You see, religion has a way of making the soul weary. Relationship with Christ heals the heart and it is good for the soul. When Christ died, the work was finished and his resurrection is a guarantee that his sacrifice was accepted and guaranteed that it is permanent. And it is a guarantee that you and I can, that when we know the sacrifice, that when we trust that sacrifice, it truly is once and for all. And through that sacrifice, we discover life in Christ and we experience the love and the rest that comes in and through the perfect sacrifice.